Hi, I'm Christina Mendonca. Thanks for checking out my podcast. You can now get a fresh agenda on iTunes and Stitcher as well as SoundCloud. Just look for a fresh agenda and check out my YouTube channel where I'm posting fresh content every week. Reach out and say hello. Let's stay connected. And if you like this or any of my other podcasts, please share with your friends. Enjoy. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi there. Thanks for spending some time with me. This is a fresh agenda where we talk to innovators and entrepreneurs and how through the distractions of life do they get at their deepest work and stay on that cutting edge. Well, today I'm talking to Hector Alvarez. He's a former police officer, former security chief officer for Cal ISO, which is the company that runs the power grid in our state. And he is now the CEO of Alvarez and Associates, which is a security company that focuses on workplace violence, school violence, and safeguarding large events and venues. Now, I reached out to him after the Kentucky school shooting because I was looking for someone actively working on the issues of preventing workplace or school violence. He was at a conference in Florida when we spoke, and he said, it's chilling to be at one of these violence prevention conferences with hundreds of people and see the entire audience start looking at their phones as those push alerts come through on a school shooting. Imagine you have hundreds of people gathering to work on preventing these types of events, and they just keep happening. But even more than talking to him about that, I wanted him to give us some tips and advice on what to do if we ever find ourselves in the middle of something like the London truck bombing or the Las Vegas shooting, or something in the workplace. What is the latest cutting-edge research on the survivability in these circumstances? So here's my conversation with Hector Alvarez. Tell me about a recent certification you were able to achieve. Only 150 professionals in your field have this in the entire country. Yeah, so the, the, the certification itself is called a Certified Threat Manager. It's issued by the group called the Association for Threat Assessment Professionals. And that certification really is intended to you know, pull people together who work in this discipline and, and make sure we're all working from the, the same sheet of music. There's such a wide variety of threats that could happen either at a workplace or as sadly as we saw in the past couple of weeks here in Kentucky at the school. Uh, what kinds of things does this certification qualify you to do? Or what kind of questions are asked? So because mental health is such a big concern when you look at this, the, the mental health was a big portion of the certification, as was some legal aspects. And then some security stuff, and, you know, going back to mental health, you know, a lot of the time we spend our energy dispelling myths about people have mental health, people who have mental health issues and whether or not they're a danger down to, you know, coming up with a security plan for somebody who's going through a threatening situation and then having the ability to have that, that bandwidth of understanding some very broad issues. And so, that's why they developed the standard, and I think that's why they made it as tough as they did. I think a lot of us wonder in our workplaces from time to time, is this a safe environment? Uh, is it a vulnerable environment? How do you assess that when you go into a workplace? You know, there's a couple of things we look at, and you know, candidly what I do is I look at it from the eyes of a, of a bad guy. You know, what is there to take? What is there to take advantage of? You know? operations that have a lot of cash and people who work by themselves alone at night, you know, those risk factors concern us. And then, then we look at how people interact with each other. Do they have positive interactions? Are they supported? Do they know the, who they talk to? And so you know, we evaluate the environment and then how people in that environment interact with you. How do you get along with, with your bosses and your, your employees? 
When you look at um, workplaces that have key card entrances or coded entrances, how much can those, you know, the hardware really help keep a workplace safe? Well, and then here's where we really get down to reality. You know, every place I go to, I'm, I'm pretty much able to walk in without a key card just by kind of standing by the door and acting like um, I belong. Um, I think what we find is that people, we talk about security, but when it comes down to it, a lot of us simply do not pay attention to, to security around the workplace. And I will literally just walk in in jeans and a T-shirt as part of the security test. And I'm able to do that at most places. Yeah, it's amazing. Most people are either have their heads in their phones, so they're looking at their phone as they're keying in and carding in and not really paying attention to someone who perhaps is loitering about and able to slip right in. Yeah, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, we'll find the rock by the door or the person not paying attention. And it's a lot of these things that, that we just are not paying attention. And what we try to get people to the sense of, you know, if you were to be at home and you saw a person you didn't know walk through your backyard, it would elicit a certain response. Um, and we want that same thing at work for people to take ownership of their workspaces. Tell me about securing a school environment versus a work environment. Now, on a school environment, you want it to be a warm, friendly place where people do feel welcome because that's what you want for the children. Well, yeah, you know, and, and I've got kids and I've seen my kids go to school and that's exactly what I want. And one of the, the best pieces of advice I can give is it's really almost coming back to like our neighborhoods. Like I think one of the things that makes your neighborhoods the most safe is that little lady who pays attention to everything. She knows who belongs and who doesn't. And if we can carry that over to our schools and we have parents paying attention to who belongs and who doesn't and teachers doing the same and students doing the same, that's how we dramatically, dramatically increase our security. What about on campus? What what do you do active shooter drills with campuses or help law enforcement perform active shooter drills? You know, unfortunately, we do, um, and because it's become such a, a scary thing, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit that you know both my children uh, carry tourniquets on their on their backpacks when they go to school because it's such a significant thing, and so knowing what your options are in a crisis can make it much easier to respond in a, in a, a fashion that is better than uh, leaving you out there with uh, the chance of something happening bad. Let's talk about that. I mean, we um, after Las Vegas, I interviewed um, an international, um, like a security guy. We talked a little bit about what to do in these large crowds. What do you suggest? What has your training taught you as a law enforcement officer and now a security expert in terms of what to do if something like this happens, if you're at a concert or you're, you're out in public somewhere? Yeah, and I'll add another element, which is just as a father, you know, um, the, the element that I always consider and that I, I talk about every class, every approach, is that uh, your, your likelihood of surviving an incident really is underpinned by how much you want to go home. Um, we all hear about the fight-or-flight reaction. What is not talked about is that the much more common reaction is that people just freeze. And so before we can talk about tactics or strategy, we have to have that mindset that, you know what, I really want to go home. And we've seen that be the overarching theme of people who survive serious incidents like the, the Vegas tragedy. That's the first start. Right. And, and what kinds of uh, assessments do you need to make quickly 
if you are involved in a situation like that. I, I have a daughter who travels internationally quite a bit, and I'm always worried and wondering because you hear about some of these terrorist activities that happen overseas at bus stations and train stations. What kinds of assessments do you need to make, especially if it's in an area that you're not familiar with? Yeah, Christina, you're right. You know, it, it's nerve-wracking when you travel to any place that is that is unknown to you, and I think that's what puts it off guard. And part of it, if you can just kind of visualize I'm standing in one direction and the violence and the screaming and the chaos is coming from in front of me, then I want to go the opposite direction. And as simple as that sounds, if you have that mindset that I need to create the distance, that I need to move away from it, that's the first step. The, the second bit of advice uh, we strongly encourage is to be very careful following crowds. Um, a lot of people tend to evacuate out of the door they came in or the route they came in. And you see bottlenecks, you see choke points. And we do have to get a little creative, especially in crowds, um, to be aware of where are my nearest exits. That's interesting. You say that if you're in a crowd, you're most likely to try to leave out the door you came. Uh, what other kinds of psychological aspects and just being human uh, makes us perhaps more vulnerable, things we have to think more carefully about if we're in this situation? Um, that we need to, to see proof that something uh, bad is happening. And so, you know, we've seen the reaction of people in a, in a lot of these situations that they will look around to see what other people are doing. And if they don't see people reacting and running, then they can tend to uh, not accept what's happening. And so that's one of the biggest dangers is needing that social proof that it's okay to do something. Um, your daughter, my daughter, my son may be the only person who hears something, and I want them to have the internal fortitude to take off running, to duck and hide and get behind something solid. That's interesting. Social proof. You know, I've actually experienced that before when I've heard something, a loud noise or whatever, kind of looked around before I reacted. Yeah, we, we need that affirmation um, because we're so afraid, um, without going into what gets us there, but we're so afraid of being wrong, of being judged for doing something silly. And, you know, I would rather be embarrassed and alive than, than to be wrong. And, and something happened and, and I didn't react. And that's the same message that I give to my kids. What, is there a, a circumstance where, um, you know, a big event happened and you talked to someone that did it right? Like what, what, um, what circumstances have you come across where you've interviewed someone or talked to someone who did it right? Yeah, I responded to a mass shooting a couple of years ago and um, the gunman walked up right behind one of the employees and put the gun to the young man's head and pulled the trigger. And fortunately, the gun was empty. And then as the bad guy walked away, our guy jumped up and took off running out the front door and ran down the street for a geographic mile and then called his wife and said, come get me, I'm done working here. Uh, and I talked to him later and he said, you know what? All I could see was my kids and family and I didn't stop until I was out of breath. And he just wanted to get out of there and it's reacting quickly once you accept something's happened is the one greatest advice I can give to anybody is how much do you want to go home and then take some action. Is is there a certain personality that is more likely to take action quickly? The person who spent just a few minutes thinking about this or the person who's gone through it before. And so I would never wish that experience on somebody. So I think it's important to learn from the experience of others. But, you know, I've seen, you know, 100 pounds soaking wet people do some incredibly courageous things. 
And then I've seen, you know, six foot eight people physically hide behind others. So it's not a size thing. It's not a gender thing. It's a how much do you want to go home thing. We talked recently to uh, a woman who teaches all kinds of self-defense courses, and she, she concentrates on women, but she teaches men and women both. And we talked to her about three different ways to protect yourself, uh, non-lethal ways, lethal ways, and, and something like martial arts. Do you suggest any kind of self-defense when you, um, you know, just to kind of, uh, in case you do have to fight instead of flight? You know, I, I'm always hesitant on some of the, the self-defense programs because they teach you that. They teach you how to fight. Uh, these are not fights. These are surprise attacks, and you can't prepare to be attacked. So before you take that self-defense class, I strongly suggest you stand in front of the mirror and have that conversation with yourself out loud and, and really lock in the sense that you want to make it home and really commit to that. Once you have that commitment... Uh, you have basically all the tools and tactics that you need to survive. And then taking a self-defense class can enhance that. But you got to get the mental part right before you take the class. What kinds of coursework have you done and what kinds of seminars do you teach that kind of meld that law enforcement experience, the psychology experience, and then, you know, the real life instances that you see in the news every day? And, and so what, what I teach is, you know, one, how to identify people who are on that path to commit net violence. I would much rather prevent it than respond to it. So we teach people what to look for. Then we teach people how to interact with people who may be challenging um, difficult people who either are on drugs, who are mentally unstable or having an issue, and how to manage that. And then lastly, we do teach people in the event that something significant were to happen, what are some options? So many things that you mentioned. I mean, mental illness, uh, drugs, terrorism, disgruntled employees, uh, disgruntled youth. There's so many causes of this kind of violence, how do you assess which steps to take depending on which kind of violence you're facing? You know, that's such a long-winded question, but I, I can start with the basics and tell you that um, a violent act at the ends, we have to go back to the beginning. It starts with frustration. And so we try to identify what's making that person frustration. Unchecked frustration can lead to aggression we can figure out what's going on with their aggressive behavior and why they're acting aggressively. We can start to do some interventions because unchecked aggression can lead to violence. And so at the very beginning, we talk to people and try to figure out what is making the people, the person, the situation so frustrating for them. Are we adding to it? And is there something we can do to turn that around? Are there certain industries that are more prone to workplace violence? I mean, we have, I mean, it's a, it's not a nice term, but we've, you know, used the term going postal before uh, to describe someone who's disgruntled in their workplace environment. What kinds of industries are more apt to see this kind of violence? So the most significant industry right now is healthcare. Um, that interaction with people in crisis, um, we're definitely seeing that's the most significant piece. And then you look at people who work with uh, things that are attractive, like drugs and or money. Um, and if you have somebody who um, deals with cash late at night, that gets dangerous. Employees working by themselves. And then there are some things that cross all industries, and that's domestic violence. I mean, unfortunately, um, it is the number one leading cause of death for women in the workplace. And we, we lose a woman, a woman on the job, one about every day in the United States.
Wow. Now, talk to me about kids. We talk a lot about social media, cyberbullying, that sort of thing. I mean, are you seeing the causes of violence different at the school level? We're seeing the tools that they use being different. Um, Our our kids have all grown up in a generation where the number of likes is a validation for how good of a person you are. But they also, we see that they're not removed from whatever frustration, whatever intimidation, whatever bullying is going on. So it's constant. But um, I will tell you that some of the same issues we see in our middle schools, I, I deal with with adults in the workplace. I've got a case right now where two people are upset because one person unfriended the other on Facebook. And these are adults in the workplace. That's an adult environment. It's amazing how much uh, social media has changed, not only our attention span, but also our our interpretation of how well we are all living and is our life good enough and does it compare and does it match up? Yeah, you know, we, we saw a very telling graphic, you know, I'm at a conference today listening to nothing about, you know, threat issues and we're looking at a graphic of uh, murders of political figures and, and movie stars, people in the industry. And very few before 1980 and since 1980 of, of movie stars, and I'm doing an air quote, about 18 of our stars who've been killed. And what we all identified was that's about the time that we started seeing the social media robot. And it, it's a dramatic change. That's fascinating. I mean, we talked, there was a, a case, I think a couple of years ago, where uh, Kim Kardashian was robbed. And it was, they think, because of something she posted on social media, they knew she would be where she would be and that she would be vulnerable at that time. Exactly. And then yeah, and, we share a lot. And so that one, and then Kim Kardashian and others, there were several who were, who were serial stalked by one guy, and he was moving from case to case. And it tends to be men stalking women uh, in these instances. And and this autoromania, this, this phenomenon where they, they create this relationship with somebody that they don't know. But um, it crosses, you know, all demographics and all industries. You know, we have, I'm doing air quotes again, everyday people who are stalked in the same manner. So it's, social media has changed a, a lot for us. Now, I know you're in Florida right now at a conference. Is this a, an annual conference or what kinds of new things are you learning there? Yeah, this is an annual conference of about 300 people, uh, all who focus in one discipline or another, a threat assessment. Um, and there's two conferences each year and we get together and, you know, we share stories, we hear the best updates, and then we also kind of validate our approval to make sure that um, what we're doing makes sense. And, and, you know, when you have a team of 300 people that you can bounce an idea off, um, it really um, adds quite a bit of validation to approaches. So it's 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 always uh, sobering, but it's a, it's a good learning experience. And I know that uh, as you are at the conference, a lot of you are getting those breaking news alerts about the uh, school shooting, the recent school shooting in Kentucky, and and other things. So I'm sure that the conversation turns to those kinds of events when they happen during those conferences. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that in the last, I think, four or five years that I've attended this this conference, um, every single time while in session, there's been a shooting. And so yesterday, while all these professionals from mental health and law enforcement and judicial and education, we're all sitting there watching a, a, a person present. And then you see the phones going off and the heads twitching and it gets worse and worse. And it was a, it was a very surreal to read about a, an active shooting while we're hearing somebody talk about a case study on a shooting. Right. Well, two of the things that I, I made note of that you said is in terms of protecting ourselves in an environment where there may be an active shooter, go the opposite direction, 
which, of the danger, which you said it sounds obvious, but uh, isn't to a lot of people, and don't look for social proof. Yep. Yep. And then the third thing, Christina, that I would suggest is get something solid between you and them. So, you know, again, it should it sounds logical, but hiding behind a bush doesn't protect you. But a solid wall, a concrete barrier, even laying down on the street near the curb provides more protection than not. And so figure out what's coming from, go the other direction, and then get some solid things between you and it. All right, Hector. So uh, I know that um, people are going to want to look you up and, and check out your information. Tell us where they can find you. So you can you. find me at our website, which is wvpexperts.com. It's so workplaceviolenceexperts.com. Um, we're local. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And our phone number is 916-293-8852. And we're open and available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, Hector Alvarez, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. You definitely are on the cutting edge of this industry. And uh, congratulations to you on the certification. Only 150 people in the country have it. And uh, we appreciate your time and expertise. That's Hector Alvarez. We hope you enjoyed the interview with him. You can give him a call if you have questions about workplace violence or if you need a threat assessment. Some great tips from Hector today. And thank you for being here for a fresh agenda. I so appreciate all the comments you're sending me and I welcome more. I love to hear from you. I have some great back episodes as well. So check out a fresh agenda on iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel as I'm posting stories and more content there. So please like and share when you like what you see. My hashtag is Credible Messenger on all social platforms. Thanks again. Let's stay connected. This is a fresh agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work.